She's out. I'm not anxious to see her taking up her old hobby. I can feel it. I can hear it moving. So he, like, ran into these things before. Yeah. What did you do? I died. Welcome to Midnight Flicks, a podcast dedicated to discussing movies relegated to a late night purgatory. I am one of your hosts, Pat Mitchell, and joining me on this cinematic expedition, as always, is Adam Walker. Adam, let let me paint you a a futuristic utopian picture for you here. I'm Uh, closing, closing my eyes. Close your eyes, but open your mind. It's uh, the year 2379. The only sport that matters is the WNBA, which has, for whatever reason, survived all this. And we have the starting center, number 69 for the Santa Fe facehuggers, Ellen Ripley. <sighs> In the year 2039. <laughs> what, which in one? The year what was 2379. <laughs> See, I thought her uh, basketball uh, team name would, or team number would have been eight, but 69. Well, huh? I, I, on the fly, as I improv that, uh, I just defaulted 69. Impressive. Well, um, all four alien movies, I didn't know if you knew this, have a scene where um, Ellen is having a communal meal with other people and sexually inappropriate things are said to her. (laughs) Fun fact off the top. So 69 seemed appropriate. But um, of course, 
we are talking about the Alien franchise. Um, the first to grace our podcast, maybe probably the only one that ever will. Um, and of course, we're talking Alien Resurrection, hence the uh, basketball talk. Um, one of my favorite uh, uh, derived movies of the fucking franchise. Um, so to just take it off the the proverbial top rope. Um, how long has it been since you've seen this? What were your thoughts having rewatched it for the, uh, for the purposes of this podcast? Well, I got to squeeze this in, even though it's completely not appropriate for, uh, me to interject this joke, but I wanted to emphasize erection, res erection. Oh boy. This is the, now for this is the Beavis and Butthead pod all over again with all the 69 and sex talk that we're getting into right and and there are some sexy one-liners in this too not just from the men of course yes as as most of the the alien franchise is known to kind of delve into because even in the far distant future it's still a man's world unfortunately that's the part of the utopia that doesn't jive sorry ladies um, so here's the thing with this. This movie is one of those movies that I can't remember if I had seen it or not. I'm pretty sure I'd never seen it. Oh, okay. So this was my first time. Wow, what a treat. Oh, yeah. unless it was an agony agonizing affair, but to me, always a treat. No, it was uh it was an enjoyable movie to watch. And it's one of those movies that for me being who I am and being what we do, it was a necessary one to, to check off the list. So here we go. I'm glad you thought it was fun. And yeah, I think maybe a misnomer of this podcast is that the, the movies we discuss are schlocky or low budget affairs. But I think the, the general thread that ties every episode together are movies that are either forgotten or were never given their due upon their initial release mm-hmm. or upon second viewings later down the road. There's a new uh, appraisal for how good they they were in retrospect, but were, you know, panned upon upon their release and this is definitely one of those um people have were fed up with alien movies at this point in time and this was considered to be uh, a disaster for <laughs> 1997 but um gained a, a huge cult following after the fact uh and has become beloved i think the only other movie in the alien franchise that we could even have on on here would be alien three. Right. Um, which is exponentially worse, uh, on every level. <laughs> <laughs> so that might be a fun discussion, but resurrections, the perfect mix of, of fun and campy and, and just kind of a real, uh, pedal to the metal affair. It gets going, uh, very quickly. It's it's a big budget nightmare for whoever was going to tackle this. Um, director Jean-Pierre Jeannot 
one of my favorite directors. Uh, I'm glad he tackled this. Um, and every time I rewatch it, I, I have a new appreciation to how different it is to the other three. He really does make it like his own kind of through shot through his own perspective and, and lens. And if people aren't familiar with Jean-Pierre Jeannot, uh, Delicatessen, City of Lost Children, like, um, he was a prominent French film director, uh, up to this point was granted directorial reins to this. And it basically soured him on Hollywood forever. And he fucking said, I'm never, I'll never do another Hollywood movie ever again. It was a fucking nightmare. And then he went back to just doing French movies. Fucking followed this up with Amelie of all goddamn things. He's it's a, it's a filmography that's all over the place. Um, But I love him. I love this movie. I love this cast for the most part. Um, and I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that this was actually uh, prior to Amelie. I would have fully expected this to be after he had made that movie. So it's yeah. interesting that he he volleyed from this to that. It's an unbelievable swerve, unbelievable pivot. Uh, it's a real palate cleanser. If you just do a back-to-back night of Alien Resurrection, Amelie... <laughs> That's like having prime rib and a, a fucking rich cheesecake afterwards. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the thing with this too is in terms of when you A, B it to the first two, especially the first one, there is definitely a drastic change in the tenor, um, especially with the first one. The first alien in many ways is a pretty stark nightmarish foray, you know, and there's not a lot of humor to it. The second one, it gets peppered in a little bit more, you know, there's a little bit more of this kind of, um, I guess there's, there's moments of levity, but it's still a pretty overall harrowing nightmarish sort of thing. Abjectly terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas this one, it's, it definitely leans more into the kind of comic book comic value of, of what this mythos could produce with the cast, you know, absolutely. a lot of, and, and that, you know, that what I feel like is obviously attributable to the Joss Whedon screenplay being like very, you know, heavily influenced by, you know, comedy and comic book sort of character uh, characteristics and things like that with a lot of zippy one-liners and things like that. So, Yeah, and we can't talk about this movie without mentioning the much maligned, recently canceled Joss Whedon, who uh, wrote the screenplay for this abjectly, outwardly, in every interview, every chance he gets, talks shit and hates this movie with all his <laughs> fucking heart. It's the second movie that I've picked, second bloated big budget affair that I've picked that Joss Whedon uh, wrote for. The first being Waterworld, where he was brought in at the at the midnight hour to yeah. try to salvage the operation and do rewrites to which Kevin Costner poo-pooed uh, and he almost lost his mind. But this <laughs> one he actually wrote start for start to finish, which is nice. Yeah, uh, it's interesting too. This is the second movie this week that I've watched that of that is of this nature, 
Uh, maybe I'll talk more about that when we get into the good, bad, and the questionable as far as comparing and contrasting this. But uh, I'll wait for that so we can kind of move it along here and sure. get all get all the off-the-top sort of thing out of the way. Well, we can transition into um, – correct me if I'm wrong. This is the first sequel we've ever done. We've never done just a random sequel in a franchise, right? Absolutely not, my friend. Harken back to our second episode, ye listeners, where we delved into – Halloween oh, that's right. 3. I always forget about Halloween 3 because it's, <laughs> it's not a sequel, technically. That movie, right. Whatever. Yeah, okay. So, well, unlike Halloween 3, I do think there is a little bit of rehashing we need to do with Alien 3 to kind of understand the full breadth of uh, this movie. Because uh, seeing as how this is the fourth installment in the Alien franchise... Um, uh, we'll start for a plot description. We'll start in Alien Three just a little bit because in Alien Three, that's where Ripley is actually impregnated with an alien queen embryo, but subsequently commits suicide by throwing herself into a, a giant incinerator to prevent Whale and Utani from using the queen for biological weaponry and thus rendering the alien species extinct. Which takes us into Alien Resurrection, which takes place two hundred years later after uh the third alien ripley has been successfully cloned and an alien queen is surgically removed from her body um the usm uh, the united states united systems military sorry hopes to breed these aliens to study and research on the spaceship the usm origa using human hosts kidnapped and delivered to them by a group of mercenaries. The aliens, of course, escape their enclosures while Ripley and the mercenaries attempt to escape and destroy the Auriga before it reaches Earth. A real fucking Greek salad of a synopsis, but that's about as good as I can, as good as I can do. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of where we're at to begin the movie. Uh, she's um, She's been cloned after having died in the third one um any questions <laughs> plot wise confusions anything that we need to clear up you think no i think you did a good job but definitely this is a convoluted plot and you know obviously i feel like we'll talk about this more where they had to do this to kind of retcon uh what was the original idea which as far as i know because sigourney weaver didn't want to be in it originally or they were you know they weren't gonna reprise ellen ripley's role and so when they got her on then they had to kind of retcon things a bit to fit as far as i know yeah yeah Yeah. absolutely but we can get into little tidbits like yeah absolutely we can clarify that later i think yeah you did a good job I okay. was like writing. I was writing my own synopsis out, and I was just like, while I was writing it, I was being very con- self conscious about what I was writing and how to edit it because I was like, God, this is a fucking mess. I can't it's imagine hard. what it was like to write this screenplay. <laughs> well, you have to be. A, it's a real. You have to love the franchise, and you have to kind of having. You, that's why I say, unlike Halloween three, you have to have followed this very fucking closely up to this point. Otherwise, there's lots of shit going on where you. You just be like, what in the world is this? Right. So this might be the most convoluted episode that we've done in terms of just jumping right into the fourth installment of a beloved franchise. But that's true. 
Uh, in terms of money made, reviews, all that sort of stuff, it had a budget of around $70 million. It debuted at number two at the box office behind Flubber, which is uh, hilarious. Um, Robin Williams comedy. Not hilarious mm-hmm. like Flubber's hilarious, but hilarious like it couldn't outdo Flubber. <laughs> uh, it grossed $25 million. In, its, in the first five days, uh, it grossed $47.8 million in North America and making it the least successful of the Alien series up to that point. Um, it was well-received internationally, however, with a gross of about $113 million, uh, bringing its total gross to $161 million worldwide, and it was the 43rd highest-grossing film in North America in 1997. Now, the question that nobody asked themselves that I did, what are the top five grossing movies in 1997? Of course, that's the year Titanic came out. So uh, Mm. Titanic's at the top. The top five is Titanic, Lost World, Jurassic Park, um, Men in Black, Tomorrow Never Dies, and As Good As It Gets. So that was the... That was your top five of 1997, just to transport people. (laughs) <laughs> I like some of those. I ain't mad at some of those. I ain't mad. No, I've never seen the. I I don't know what as good as it gets is. I know it's Jack Nicholson. Is it like a fucking slapstick comedy? I, I have no idea what it is. I've never okay, seen. Okay, so I instantly have a real soft spot for that movie. I don't really watch it anymore, but it was one of those movies that I used to be kind of obsessed with. It's it's a rom com. Oh, okay. Yeah. So tune in to season 17 where we do <laughs> as good as it gets and we finally break the barrier into a rom-com app. Put it this way, that movie definitely I feel I feel that if you said that was one of your favorite movies now, you would get canceled. Oh boy. Cuz oh. it is incredibly insensitive and tone deaf. Jack Nicholson who plays the main character is a racist, misogynistic, just outright angry, irascible, like bigot that falls in love with Helen Hunt. And he's just this deplorable individual that somehow has to overcome his many, many character flaws. So she will accept him. Boy, oh boy. But that he's sounds, got some that he's got nuts. some real choice one-liners that I think are hilarious that if anybody heard even in context would be like, yo, what the fuck? (laughs) Basically there's one where he, he comes in. Okay. So I don't want to get too off track, but I got to mention this one. So the reason why he falls in love with Helen hunt is because she's a waitress at his favorite restaurant. Also he has OCD. So he has all these OCD ticks, which is connected with his racism essentially. Um, He comes in and he has a favorite table and there's this younger couple, this kind of hip looking couple that are sitting there talking and, and he comes up to them and they're, they, they look like they're, they might be Mediterranean or something. Their, their, their ethnicity is, is not clearly white, I guess. And he comes in, he, he looks and he gets really mad and then he goes up to the, the host of the restaurant and he goes, I've got Jews at my table. Oh boy. <laughs> and then he just berates these people at his table and <clears throat> they get up and leave. And he says, your appetite wasn't as big as your noses, huh? 
Oh my goodness. <laughs> so wow. that's, just a, that's just a taste of that movie. <laughs> but it turns out he was actually from Jersey. And what he was trying to say was that his table hadn't been bust yet. And there was a glass of orange juice at right. his table. That juice. There's juice at my table. <laughs> All right. Well, that was the as good as it gets corner. Of there you the, go. That was, there was our little. Of the pod. <laughs> a little sidestep. Um, the general consensus uh, for Alien Resurrection is that, albeit better than Alien 3, it's just still not very good. Well, I guess was is the general summation by most. Roger Ebert gave it one and a half stars. Oh. Oh, uh, man, he's yeah, back. He's, he's back, baby. Uh, he says, quote, in Alien 3, Ripley says to the alien, I've known you so long, I can't remember a time when you weren't in my life. And uh, now I'm telling the aliens the same thing. This is a series whose inspiration has come, gone, and been forgotten. I'm aliened out. The fourth movie depends on a frayed shoestring of a plot, barely enough to give them something to talk about between the action scenes. Raj, I- Raj had had it at that point. Can I I want to mention this one poll quote in particular? That yeah, I don't know if you had this, but I thought this was very funny. This is a dude named Jeffrey Overstreet. Uh, apparently he was writing for a, a publication called Looking Closer. I have no idea. He rated the film a C plus, And this was what he said. What began as the most menacing movie monster of all has evolved into a whining oaf that looks like it's been dipped in a vat of cream of wheat. Oh, boy. That's rough. So rough summation. Yeah, right. I do feel like we're going to have a hardware-esque discussion about uh, how lame one of the movie villains is in this. Um, Could could potentially end up that way. (laughs) I'm not as hard-leaning as as that. (laughs) I'm not either. But but I get it. Yeah. Joss Whedon, obviously, uh, like I said, absolutely hated it, said, quote, it wasn't a question of doing everything differently, although they changed the ending. It was mostly a matter of doing everything wrong. They said the lines mostly, but they said them all wrong and they cast it wrong and they designed it wrong and they scored it wrong. They did everything wrong that they could possibly do. There's actually a fascinating lesson in filmmaking because everything that they did reflects back to the script or looks like something from the script. And people assume that if I hated it, then they'd change the script. But it wasn't so much that they changed the script, it's that they just executed it in such a ghastly fashion as to render it almost unwatchable. Joss going in hard. Uh, Man. I'm going to piggyback that with my final review, which is H.R. Geiger, who, despite being disgruntled for not being credited in the film, which is which is very appropriate. Like, I, I side with him. Yeah, um, absolutely. <laughs> like, Come on. But why? Yeah. Why not? Right. Right. But he called it, quote, an excellent film. Had a great time. So Geigs, Geigs is on board. I, I like how all of the Europeans are are on like Geiger's repping it hard. Obviously, Jean Jean Pierre Jeannot like just stands by it. Um, and all the all the Americans are disgruntled with it. Seemingly. Yeah. I wonder if that is a, a, a if there is some sort of Euro versus American sort of aesthetic. General. This does. This is what I was saying at the beginning. It feels different because it really does feel like a French language film that was adapted into English. 
like I could see this just being in in French with like subtitles and shit because it's very akin to stylistically what he what Jean-Pierre Jeannot had been doing up to that point, which was yeah. like Delicate Tessin is a very like it's like a black comedy. He mm-hmm. delved into like really dark worlds with uh, with a kind of funny tinged quality to a lot of it. Um, City of Lost Children, a little less so. But that's why I thought it would work with Joss Whedon because his his shit is all about very snarky, like funny kind of dark comedies of sorts. Yeah, uh, absolutely. But it just did not gel. Of I mean, apparently. But Whedon fucking hated it. And um, that's, that brings me to wonder yeah. what, what would a Joss Whedon version of this that, that stayed true I wonder what it what would have made it distinctly different. I mean, I have one aspect that I will discuss in the wiki wormhole that after hearing him describe it, I was like, ah, okay, yeah, that's way cooler. (laughs) All right. I'm interested in hearing that because I I really don't know. And, you know, if I think about other Joss Whedon productions, I mean, it doesn't seem like it's that far off the mark other than visually. Visually, For him to say it's bordering on unwatchable. Yeah, seems... But yeah, there was something uh, uh, really amiss. Uh, there was a disconnection, clearly. Yeah, but he also, from what I know, seems like a very, I don't know. He seems that he's a difficult individual. Only in retrospect. I think if you asked even just five years ago, everyone would agree that he's a fuck, that he's the fucking genius. Mm-hmm. Behind the scenes genius in Hollywood. Whose yeah. name is attached to fucking everything that up to this point, not anybody outside of like the Buffy verse would not have fucking known that he was attached to Waterworld and this and like a million yeah. of the Marvel universe. Like, and then he got canceled. So, I mean, whatever. <laughs> yeah, he seems like a turd now for sure. Yeah. Okay. Shall we get into the good, the bad, and the questionable? Uh huh. The good. I can't. I, I'm going to speak to this in the wiki wormhole, too. I'm obsessed with a basketball sequence. That's why I, I tried to lead off with it, or I did lead off with it. It is absolutely unbelievably bonkers. And it's <laughs> it, like, I can't, like, this is one of those questions that I have. Like, was did Joss Whedon write a basketball sequence? Uh, or is this where the disconnect happens? I doubt, like... Jean-Pierre Jeannot just went off the fucking rails and was like insistent upon it. So it had to have been in the script, I would imagine. Yeah. Um, But it's nuts. Just seeing like Ripley, like thunder dunking and like behind her, behind the back, like half court swish and shit. And then like proceeds to kick everyone's ass. Like it's a good, uh, it's a good entry point to like where Ripley is at in this movie. Yeah. And just the whole story behind it as well and how it was achieved. Also kind of. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's the story that I have for the in the wiki wormhole, which is even more ridiculous. Like it's 
it's insane that they put that much time and energy into the basketball sequence in this movie. <laughs> right. <laughs> it also has one of my favorite genre lines, which is, uh, who's played by Ron Perlman. Um, it says, if you don't want to play basketball, I know some other indoor sports we can play, which is like his vibe. This whole movie is like yeah. sexually harassing and, <laughs> and belittling anyone of note, anyone around, around him. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's really, really doing his best to get off, give off the big dick energy. Yes. Yes. <laughs> he's, a, he's essentially like, in aliens, like he, he would have fit perfectly in the army crew in aliens, basically. 100%. Yeah. If, if you could transport him back to that crew, he would have just fit in excellently. For sure. He's a, with he's all, a holdover from, from aliens. <laughs> yeah. With all the back and forth and that, that whole portion of aliens. Like Paxton and him, I could see them glad palling and back slapping and beer chugging. And yeah. Minority putting down in. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> my favorite sport, as as was indicated by that 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 quote that I had at the top. So, um, also to note, also in my good, the death scenes in this are on another level in terms of creativity. Um, Purvis putting Doctor Wren's head against his chest just as the chest burster shoots out is yeah. so fucking gnarly and like fun and a good idea. Like they didn't just rehash chest bursting and like all the all we've seen it all for through three movies and this did a conscientious job of trying to be creative and I thought it I thought it succeeded. The the newborn getting like sucked out of the hole in the in the airlock is yeah. so gnarly and <laughs> fucking gross and great. It's such a fun, like, bit of business. I, I love all the death scenes, even the, even the like, ones that are in middling in, you know, in creativity are fu- fucking awesome. Yeah. yeah, the more pedestrian ones. And also, it's just, it's funny that the guy who played Purvis, uh, he basically, that actor... Leland Orser. Yeah, I I can't recall off top what other movies I've seen him in besides this and Seven, but he basically reprised his role as the frantic victim <laughs> that he did in in Seven as well. The, He's the in very- Seven. Leland Orzer is in my good as well because just because I'm a big ER guy and he's okay. like in Seven seasons of ER as okay. a surgeon. Um, but yeah, he's in seven. He, his, his filmography is all over the place. He's in this, uh, he does reprise a very similar frantic <laughs> energy from seven though, but I love Leland Orzer in general. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I thought he did fucking great. Let me hear some of your goods though. I've got plenty. Yeah. Well, you know, you mentioned those, uh, I don't believe we've talked yet about our dude, Brad Dorif. We haven't. I'm so embarrassed to mention his name after my chance encounter with him. But yeah, he's in this and he's doing some business. Yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. That what you bonked heads with Brad Dora for something? Yeah, it was a fuck show. I met him and (laughs) head butted him, and it sucked. Then we got a picture. You're you're never getting invited to any his dinner parties. Fuck! I'm so embarrassed. Yeah, he's yeah. We didn't even mention Brad Dorf is in this and is chewing up scenery doing good shit just just he's the like akin to like a jeffrey combs in terms of like you bring in a character actor it's just gonna knock it out of the fucking park 
Yeah, he just always kind of outshines everyone around him. And during that portion in the end where he's cocooned yes. in the yes. in the queen's lair and he's doing his creepy lines and both Charlotte and I, we just kind of were like grinning from end to ear, ear to ear, just watching it and like this guy is he's a real piece of work. He's just like <laughs> fawning over how beautifully perfect of a killer. Like he's just like in awe of it. Yeah. Even, even despite his, you know, his yeah. demise, like his, his near death is coming up. So I love it. Yeah. And he just does, he does such an excellent job of playing the creepy weirdo in everything he does. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. This is He's, a great, this is a great Brad Dorff performance that everyone's like, you know, what's a great Brad Dorff performance? Exorcist three, which is true. Exorcist true. three is maybe Very the true. best performances he's ever given. But if you want something that's not talked about, it's this. It's his performance in this is excellent and and rarely and rarely talked about. Yeah. So Brad Dorff definitely. Um, Overall, some overall technical aspects of the movie. Cinematography is beautiful. The set design is amazing. Of course, that's all very heavily attributable to Jean-Pierre Junot. It definitely has his stamp all over it. The The color palette of this movie where it's it's kind of murky, but at the same time it has, you know, it has this contradictory murky clarity to it where it's like a lot of browns and blues that are mixed together he has a very very distinctive color palette that when you see his movies you know it's it's kind of like we were talking about with manhunter with michael mann you know or dario agento there there are these certain directors that a lot of the way they express their worlds is through color and i feel like he he has a really good you know, distinctive color palette. So yeah, signature, his signature palette is all over this. And, and to contrast this with what he follows up with Amelie and how bright and vibrant and just like gorgeous Amelie is shot, like in such as bright, vibrant nature. It's a cool, like it's a cool, uh, uh, it's a cool contrast between the two. You, and you this can, is this is the opposite of that, but like what you said, still like very, the clarity is still there. So it's not murky in a like a, I can't tell what I'm what I'm watching kind of quality. Yeah, it's it's there's a despondency to it, you know, and it's 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 that way with City City of Lost Children too, where the color palette and the hues he's able to really make it like he's projecting into a, a, a an actual real weird parallel universe type of future, you know, where only these colors exist in nature. Yeah. Um, it's an so. excellent piece of world building that he's able to pull off. And I would say maybe with like the whole Amelie thing, it's, you know, he may have had this epiphanous moment as a director where he had been kind of, you know, his bread and butter and what was considered his signatures was kind of darker movies. Maybe he had to break from that. He felt maybe he felt stilted or, you know, he just had to, he's like, I have to do something else. Who knows? So it's, it's in a lot of ways, it's, it's kind of like a, you know, a one eighty from what he was doing before. 
Yeah, not yeah. Well, after this, like I said, he was he swore off Hollywood uh, <laughs> forever, but. He then just went on to make the most French movie of all fucking time. Like, not right. since, like, Jean-Luc Godard or, like, fucking right. Francois Truffaut or whatever, like, 400 Blows or some Breathless or whatever the fuck. Like, he just reinvented French cinema, basically, which is nuts. He just fuck, said fuck Hollywood and then just went back and never, never returned. Good for him. And that's right there. That is the segue that I wanted you to bring up for me to mention that I watched back to back pretty much this week. This movie with the island of Dr. Moreau. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Which We talked about this. I'm sure you knew, know about this. That's our man. Well, my man, because you I don't think you've accepted him quite as much as I no, have. He's still that's, that's Richard. Yeah, that's Richard Stanley's big big budget fucking uh, pile of shit that basically ruined his career or made him say fuck Hollywood as well. Cause after that, he, he basically went insane. And Ron Perlman's in that too. Ron Perlman is in that as well, which is another connection, which is weird. Yeah. And so we watched both of those, both these movies. And then there's actually a, uh, there is a, a documentary that's compliments the island of Doc Murrow goes into the whole process of what happened with that. It's one of those amazing, you know, what the fuck happened here? This is just a curse movie. Everything's fucked up with the documentary, and it's just amazing. Very similar trajectory to just be like, fuck this, I'm out. I'm not like it ruined. They soured both of them. Only Jean Pierre Jeannot bounced back much, like, Far quicker and much more effectively. Yeah. And well, yeah, Richard Stanley bounced back for a little bit and now he's gone again. <laughs> so, yeah, so. that's interesting, though. I like the Ron Perlman thing is also, which we're segueing into segues into segues. Well, uh, I, 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 I want to yeah. say real quick, though, because we're talking about Joss, Joss Whedon, maybe because they're both canceled, maybe Richard Stanley and Joss Whedon should get together and work on something. They should yeah, have a and, and Mel Gibson could be like the <laughs> fucking lead actor. Right. They should have a canceled movie collective. Sign me up, baby. I would show up and pay. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, it depends. So, I don't know. I'm my line isn't as like I I will never go see a fucking Woody Allen movie. Not because no. he fucks his own daughter and molested the other one. But mainly because his shit sucks my ass. I fuck fuck him and fuck New York and fuck like <laughs> opining hey. for New York and like, yeah, you like New York, York. Hey. hey, I like New York. Hey, watch my movies. I'm gonna fuck my daughter. <laughs> that is a weird Woody Allen. <laughs> it was, wasn't it? <laughs> like most Sislak Allen. <laughs> I'm walking here. <laughs> I'm walking you. Um, the segue I was going to say was about Ron Perlman, mm-hmm. which is I like a director that has a that has like just like a group of dudes to pull from. Um, and Ron Perlman is a Jean-Pierre Jeannot guy, having been in City of Lost Children, but more so Dominique Pignon. I don't know how to say his name, so I'm just mm-hmm. going to Dominique Pignon. Yeah, he's great. also uh, in like all his shit, like Delicatessen, yeah. City of Lost Children, Amelie, this, like it's his go-to guy. 
Um, and I love a, a person, uh, Tarantino does this too, that just has a, a, a litany of dudes, go-to dudes that they keep drawing from that well. And yeah. it gives, it adds to the aesthetic of having a filmmaker palette that's uniquely your own because you can transform the same actor into different roles. And I just, I, I always love that kind of shit. So, and I like Ron Perlman in general. I think he's fucking awesome. Yeah. And I'm glad that you mentioned that duo because one of my favorite scenes is because it's clear that uh, Johnner has some sort of, he he basically bullies Vries like that's kind of his like punching bag bag for whatever reason, you know, be it because, you know, he's handicapped or whatever. He's just kind of honed in on him to fuck with him. But uh, I like I do like that scene in the beginning where uh, Johnner is standing on that platform or that deck above Vries while Vries is working on a part of the ship and he just throws the knife into his leg, knowing yeah. that he can't feel it. <laughs> and Winona Ryder's character, Call, kind of like looks at him like, what the fuck is wrong with you, man? <laughs> That's a good bit of business, though, too. I love the, the Bowie knife to the dead legs of, of, of Reese. It's a fun, right. fun little. And their connection is there's a there's a small nod to city of lost children because there's a line where Vries is like who'd you expect and he was supposed to say the easter bunny mm-hmm. but he kept saying the eastern bunny because of his <laughs> french accent and everyone fucking crack up the whole time to the point where they had to change the line to who'd you expect santa claus which is a line he delivers to ron perlman's character in city of lost children <laughs> which is nice. crazy but yeah an- another little jean-pierre Jeannot easter egg you know, hidden in there um, I did want, go ahead. I did want to mention one other. Well, there's a couple of the people that they're more kind of like sub side characters that whenever I see them for whatever reason or another, I'm kind of like I get a little bit delighted because, you know, they've been in things uh, before that I've enjoyed, particularly TV shows. But every I'm glad time you're about I, to do this because I wasn't I, going to. But uh, there you I was very easily could have and i knew that you would so i'm fucking glad you're doing this yeah so there's two two guys in particular i always like seeing raymond cruz yes. and i always fucking forget his name but I, I, he's always he's always tuco to me yes because, he will forever be tuco but right I, I but hate, then it's like one of those things where you look back on movies and he shows up everywhere and you're like oh this guy's just always been around exactly exactly because yeah and i hate to typecast him like that but he is forever and you know he's forever been etched in my mind as tuco but you know because he played tuco so well like i like seeing him in other things and seeing what he added to other movies and shows and so he's in this and he's great in this too you know he's he does a really good job of playing you know the the military guy the marine that basically flips you know and he's just like yeah i'm out I'm with the mercenaries. We got to get the fuck out of here, you know. And I'm, yeah. I'm like, I'm, I'm rooting for him to stay alive. And of course, he gets he gets murked at the very end, right? Um, but the the De Stefano character is interesting because it seems like a background character that really melds as the movie goes on, and you grow to like him just enough for the his death to have meaning. 
Whereas exactly. if they just kept him in the background or whatever, he could have just been a fucking useless death that they could have thrown in there. But it really sucks when he dies. Yeah, he could have been a, a Star Trek red shirt guy. Yeah, but. he could have been a red shirt death. That's right. <laughs> but it wasn't. It wasn't. He cared about him. And then the other guy is Dan Hedaya. Uh, do you know who I'm talking about? He plays General Perez. Yes, or- he is. Uh, it, it, what, what the fuck do I? He's got a. Oh, he's the dad in Night at the Roxbury. I knew for a fucking. I was like, he's the dad in something really fucking stupid. I know he's yeah. in a ton of other shit, but uh, for whatever reason, I always think of him as, as yelling at Will Ferrell and Chris Kattan in Night at the Roxbury. But yeah, I love him. He's fucking hilarious. Yeah, but the reason why, like, I know him so well, and he's he's actually been a guy, an actor that has been kind of always one of those people that I recognize. But again, I I can never remember his name because he was in Cheers. Oh uh, wow! And he he, wow. he he played a recurring side character in Cheers that led to a spinoff from cheers called I'm, i have to look all this up because i'm like i draw a blank on it but the tortellis oh my god well i didn't even know any of this yeah and he was married was he married he basically in this spinoff <laughs> no okay so this one in the spinoff he's married to what was casey Kasem's wife gene Kasem, and she played in cheers this kind of blonde bimbo kind of archetype but anyways, that guy, but he plays this real surly, just like, you know, kind of fucking curmudgeonly dude in Cheers. Um, and I just always remembered him from my childhood as being just this kind of like hunched over, kind of mumbling, like, you know, type of dude. Uh, but he's also in Blood Simple. And yeah, he yeah. plays a really great role in Blood Simple. He, he plays the abusive, shitty husband to um, what's her fucking name? Uh What's the lady that's in every uh, Coen Francis McDormand? Francis McDormand. Sorry. Anyways, so that shout out to that guy and his sweater vest. He's got the hairiest motherfucking dude <laughs> primate arms in the world. You can't. You, you can't. There's not a blade that's been even in the year twenty three seventy nine. There's no no technology <laughs> that, can that, that can stand that. up to shaving that man. Oh my gosh! So, anyways, there, there's our, there's our uh, character actor corner side character guy, and we, having already talked about Brad Dorf, but you right. throw him into the side character, the character acting corner, and you got a, you got a fucking power corner. Yeah, you got a, yeah, you got a mean set of characters. But Brad Dorf is is a character actor that he's one of those guys that transcends character acting in many ways. He's he's like a, you know, oh, he's he'll a steal the show character. right from yeah, under you. Yeah, he's like Tom Noonan and Steve Rails back for me, where they're just these dudes that every time they're in a movie, they the movie could be a complete pile of horse shit. And just because they're in it, they they make it worth it. So absolutely agree. Yeah. Um the other the last good that I have, and then we can move on to any more goods that you have. Uh there's also a concerted effort made to use more practical effects in this that really pay off, especially when compared to the visual onslaught that is aliens three alien threes CGI. Mm -hmm. Like alien three has some of the worst CGI 
<laughs> like created. Like it's just, it's unfathomably bad. Um, <laughs> and this went the extra distance to, to really, to really do some practical shit. All of the spaceships are miniatures, which is awesome. Um, all the like deformed, like latex appendages coming off of like Ripley seven is so tight and gross and gnarly and awesome. And, uh, the newborn is a, is a full scale animatronic puppet that like is manned by nine different people to like Mm -hmm. come to life. Like they really, they really tried hard to use practical effects when applicable. Yeah, that was definitely in my good as well. That and it just proves time and time again, especially with these big budget things where they absolutely have the money to do it. It's like, why do you want to cut corners and make your movie just look like absolute trash? Just put the effort in and do the practical effects. It will always, even when it's like shitty, looks better than good CGI. Shitty practical effects look better than good CGI more often than not. Yeah. I'll die on that hill any day. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So definitely a big, like the, the queen, the queen puppet is amazing. That's just epic. When it gets, when, when Ripley falls into the, the, the nest there and it opens up into that scene, it's just, it's pretty awe inspiring. It's like, it, (laughs) I might say something controversial here. We're going to get letters if anyone cared to actually write letters, but (laughs) like, it's the most impressive in the series. Like they go out of their way to really make it fucking like he out Cameron's Cameron. I feel like in a lot of ways, uh, I'm not saying this is the, a better movie than alien or aliens, but like for my money's worth, they, he, he also like, Jean-Pierre Jeannot said something about like the face hugger eggs became like background scenery throughout these movies. And he wanted to make them like really viscousy and gross and like, like just fucking disgusting. And he did, he went out of his way to do that. And I appreciate, I just appreciate that. I that That's awesome. Yeah. And, f- and I will mention, since you did, did bring up the face hugger scene, the, the whole, part where they bring in the uh kidnap victims to be mm-hmm. put in those contraptions to mm-hmm. basically just be receptacles for the face huggers that's pretty sick also like super well, that's super evil <laughs> that is some mean shit and it, it 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 is pretty terrifying to watch that so that part and the part with the nest it are very effectively scary scenes. In it's my like opinion. a human factory farm. I love yeah. it. It's so gnarly. And then they cut back. You don't, it, you don't get a lot of the chest bursting because yeah. it's not necessary at this point after all we've gone through with these movies, but they cut back and there's like tangled entrails hanging from all of their bodies, which is just a, a, a better way of doing that. And the only yeah. chest burst, they're like, we're going to do a chest burster scene, but then they, they did it like better than, you know, it, they reimagined it. So mm-hmm. like having it come out of his chest and through that dude's fucking head is, yeah, is the way you need to do it. Cause no one wants to see chestburster shit anymore. We've seen it all. We've, we've yeah. seen enough of it, but I thought he did a great job of reimagining this shit and making it cool again. I agree. Any more good. 
just overall, I think it has some pretty awesome action sequences as well. I know we, you know, we've already kind of touched on that, but yeah, you know, it keeps it, it keeps it moving, you know, and, and, and that kind of, it, that in its sense kind of sticks to the template of what we, you know, expect up to this point from the aliens franchise is some pretty taut action. At least I would say from the second one on the, the, the first one's paced a little bit differently. The second one, it's like, you know, once they get the the military in there, it's some pretty, you know, white knuckle taut action that's going on. I feel like this movie did a good job of replicating that vibe as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Aliens <laughs> is, a, is, is just a glorified action movie. Yes. Whereas Alien is like the quintessential sci-fi horror movie. Yep. Precisely. And, but everything after aliens followed in its foot in aliens is footsteps. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's a real mouth salad. Um, <laughs> bad. Uh, certainly some bad to go around here. Um, I would say as much as props as I give to the litany of practical effects that they went through, the underwater CGI aliens uh, are are and are still worlds better, worlds better, galaxies better than the CGI aliens we got in Alien Three. They're still just not up to current standards. I would I would say certainly not a, a deal breaker, but they're not great. Like I'd seeing them do like Greg Luganis fucking <laughs> I don't, like I just don't give a shit. But like it, you know, it looked fine, but. Uh, you could have had a dude in a suit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Probably. But, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> but the question that needs to be brought up, of course, are they better than the Deep Blue Sea CGI sharks? Yes. And we're talking, yeah, two years mm-hmm. prior and yeah, mm-hmm. exponentially better. Yeah. You know, it's funny that you bring that, that water scene up because for whatever reason or another, I kind of phoned out of that i i <laughs> something preoccupied me for whatever reason so i actually kind of almost missed that whole sequence so i guess i was better off for it it's not <laughs> something that you would look back and be like wow that's awful but it's it's glaring because of all the use of practical effects in this make it look even more kind of just kind of video gamey but it, it's mm-hmm. not fucking i would say it'd be like on the borderline of bad like almost not not worthy of the category, but certainly not as good as the other, the other shit. Um, the other complaint I had is if drinking in the future is just reduced to like these biomolecular K cups or whatever the fuck this Keurig (laughs) machine is, I'm out. I'm like totally out. If it's just like bullion (laughs) cubes that are like lasered into whiskey shots, like that's, that sucks. That, uh, I fear for the future of drinking, in fact. Well, just don't enter into the singularity or don't cryogenically freeze yourself. Just don't do it, Pat. Yeah, but okay. <laughs> I'll never see the Chicago Bears win a Super Bowl then. <laughs> oh, my gosh. This was my first thought. But sure, okay, I won't. Well, that's the thing. If If we had the technology to preserve your life infinitely or into the you know very distant future i would hope that we also have the technology to transport you back in time and then we could just trans- that 
transport you back to the the mid eighties for you know so you could yeah, actually be there. Born right after they won their first Super Bowl, which is a constant reminder that I'll in my lifetime I will probably never see it. So born born too late, my friend. I remember I was there for it. Ah, God, <laughs> great. <laughs> so there you go. Happy for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I want to I want to just dip in right here before you say it because this is one of your um, uh, general critiques that you'll have for a lot of movies that we watch. This is what I will say: bad plan. This is another example mm-hmm. of a bad plan. Good idea. <laughs> Good idea on the bad plan. Yeah, the whole idea of you know, recreating and, and re-engineering the alien DNA, you know, just thinking once again, well, you know, they just didn't know then, but we know better now. We're you know, 200 we'll, years smarter. Surely <laughs> nothing can go wrong. We'll harness their, the raw power and energy of these, these, you know, these, uh, unquestionably evil creatures and of course the same shit happens you know they figure out oh wait we can get out of here by just melting the floor how did they not account for the acidic blood like that like right that the room just a- wasn't proofed for <laughs> for that again that's what i mean bad plan you would think at this point you would have had all your bases covered you would have known oh these these motherfuckers have acid blood that will burn through just about any material we better make sure that we have this this chamber completely fitted to make sure that they don't escape completely indestructible material although i do love the idea of of the xenomorphs cannibalizing each other for the express purpose of escaping that's awesome yeah no that's that that is that was sick but you know Again, the fact that they just they didn't have all their ducks in a row and, you know, they paid for the the, the Icarus of this particular project (laughs) flew way too close to the sun and they paid dearly for it. It's also a constant reminder, which is uh, what Ridley Scott's initial vision is uh, the 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 theme and the subtext of no matter how dangerous and uh perfect killing specimen these xenomorphs are there's nothing more dangerous than the stupidity of man which is like Mm. the running thread throughout all this is yeah these things are are fucking highly skilled at at fucking surviving and murdering but we were the ones that came to them in in our expressed wisdom thinking that we could handle it and keep going back to that stupid well yeah. So, yeah, I, I, yeah, for sure. Well, and to piggyback off, speaking about what is just apparently, you know, uh, perennial or longstanding human stupidity, a theme that is, you know, visited upon in this movie that I, I, I fucking hate normally is they bring a Bible into this. It's just like, you're trying to tell me that at this point in time, y'all are still clinging on to this shitty fucking desert religion to give you some sort of hope or inspiration 
So like bringing the Bible and, and like having like that, that nod do it. I'm just like, all right, you know, 200 whatever. years, 200 years. Fuck off. 200 years, not from now. 200 years yeah. since the last goddamn movie. <laughs> right. And it's 2379. You still are hanging on to this shit, huh? It's like 150. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say it's like 150 years until we even get to like the 200 year mark. Fast forward from that. Yeah. It's like 300 fucking years, basically. <laughs> right. There's no way y'all are still going to. Well, I don't know. Who's to say? I mean, you I know. guess, yeah. Right, whatever. <laughs> um, so I don't know if this is necessarily a bad, you know, I, this never really like crossed my mind actually up to this point, but having a discussion with my partner about this kind of, it gave me pause. I've never really, I think, thought about Winona Ryder too much as an actress, as far as like her chops. She's always just been one of those type of people that I like the movie she's been in and I don't have any qualms with her, but then we kind of had this discussion where I'm like thinking, yeah, she's just really not that great of an actress. She's kind of one note in a lot of ways. She, you know, she's in certain things. I'm like, okay, that's distinctively, I like that character and the way she plays it like Beetlejuice. But did you feel like with this movie at all, or in general that Winona Ryder is kind of a one trick pony? She's in my bad. That's why we have, it's taken us. We're at the one hour mark. We haven't even mentioned that Winona Ryder is in this fucking movie. Yeah. She's in this movie, but right. she, her heart is not in it. I don't know what's going on with this performance. It's a strange, like, I don't, you know, I'd like to, if you were to defend it, you would say like, she's really tapping into the fact that she's supposed to be an auton, which is like the right. second generation of these synthetics that are being created in, in the future. Yeah. The um, singularity has occurred. The robots are making more robots that are right. smarter than the robots. But her, she's in this and I don't know. We've named, I don't know, 10 other actors <laughs> she, before she got, her. She, she got lapped by Tuco Salamanca in this. Yeah. And Tuco and the, the, running laps on her. And the hairy guy from Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> So there you no, go. she's in my bed. I don't get it. Uh, she she was she begged to be in this uh, yeah. supposedly so, so she could brag to her brothers, her little brothers, that she was in a an alien movie. But yeah, she's not doing a lot of work in this. It's it's a real forgettable performance. Mm -hmm. But I did like that twist that she she wasn't an, an android or an auton. Well, you know, an alien movie wouldn't be an alien movie unless somebody revealed that they were a fucking synthetic. So, yeah, well, I, get, I had to throw it in there. Yeah. And I had that discussion, too, where I was like, you know, because they're all kind of freaking out about it like they do in every movie. And, and there's this android bigotry that still persists even to that point as well you know i'm just like man they still are all hung up on the androids you know they can't get over uh them and you know i thought about it and after we we talked about it, it's like well i guess they have been out of commission up to that point so they're they're considered almost an artifact so that would make sense if they brought it back that you know people would be kind of like oh you're an android but you know i, I that being said I, I would think that at that point people would have just accepted androids you know as this is just a given but 
there's a mythos in there's an alien mythos that's like not discussed but is part of the realm in this world where the second generation of synthetics called autons uh were created but they they led a like very violent revolt and upheaval Mm -hmm. and so they were decommissioned and and recalled and no longer so synthetics are banned at this point in the future yeah hence her hiding the fact that she's working on this ship as an engineer and she has to hide it because it would mean her death to to come clean but i think that's also part of like everyone's surprised because the, the synthetics have been done away with at, at this point in the alien history. So, yeah, but yeah, dear Lord, it's a, it's a rough performance. In terms of, yeah. It's not rough. It's just boring. It's just, she's boring. fine. It's she just, yeah, she just blends in. She blends in and, and you know, on a fucking poster, it's her name right next to Sigourney Weaver. Like no one's, no one has second billing on this thing. Like, yeah, she's almost like it's almost the close to being pitched as like her being the next Ripley if she wasn't an Auton. Mm-hmm. But no one would want to see that. So, nope. The only other bad I have is the overall look of the newborn. It, it's not that I <laughs> genuinely have a problem with it. Uh, the cream of wheat, the monster. cream of wheat guy. Uh, but. What it does do is trigger a very specific memory of it just looks exactly, and I mean exactly, like the tequila worm creature that Craig T. Nelson vomits up in Poltergeist 2 who has like the <laughs> face of Reverend Kane. Yeah, that's It's identical. Funny. It's really bizarre. Like I, I feel like they, they had to have like pulled it. In yeah. the face, it's almost – you just couldn't tell the difference. I always think of it, especially when they just have close up on his face. I'm like, what the fuck? It just looks exactly like that thing. I know no one else has that thought, but no, but that's the only thing great. I think of. That's a good callback. And yeah, I didn't have any real big issue with it. In fact, it didn't look menacing at all. That's one thing for sure. In fact, I thought it was kind of cute. I was like, oh, a little well, buddy. Well, he's a newborn, so maybe <laughs> that's know? what they were going for. Yeah. So you're genuinely like I felt genuinely bad for when it gets sucked through the decompression air air hole that she, you know, melts out. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, you just seem like kind of crying and whining like, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely there's definitely a sympathetic, sympathetic quality to it. Yeah. <laughs> Which in the wiki wormhole discuss what it was meant to what Joss Whedon's vision was for it. And it's drastically different. And you'll see what I'm talking okay. about. Any more bad? No. Questions. Um, I have a few, but what questions do you have? The one thing that I thought about was, and I get for dramatic device, this is why they did it. And and, and it looks cool. I don't have an issue with it. But I did wonder, why would they have preserved all of the previous uh, Ripley clone mistakes in this you know, this kind of showroom of horrors. <laughs> what a scene though. The, the reject Ripley clones is, uh, not to, not to step on our own dicks. My favorite scene. It's so crazy. It's so gnarly. And seeing yeah. the, like, <laughs> the, as it builds up to Ripley seven, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's, uh, 
again, a gnarly bit of business. Yeah, it's super sick looking, but just the way it's like they're they're in these showroom cases, like, look at all of our freaks. You know, you would think like if this was a legit experiment, they would have it more kind of, you know, hidden away, almost like specifically keeping like I understand keeping them for further study, maybe at some point, but keeping Ripley seven alive is just crazy like it unnecessarily inhumane but this is coming mm. from the people that are having uh humans shipped to the ship to for breeding purposes so i mean i guess it's not inhumane to them yeah so it's just overall this is this operation is a horror show and evil and why don't we just double down and be like hey look at our fucked up freak mistakes Check i it love out. the yeah the <laughs> the hall of freaks is one of my favorite <laughs> favorites it's fucking so that, gnarly yeah so that was a question i had but that was i mean there's other ones but i want you take the reins my friend with all of your questions i don't have like a ton of real like hard-nosed questions why are disabilities in the future having not been resolved? I don't. <laughs> yeah. That seems crazy that he's Yeah, my man still should disabled. have legs. Yeah. My man should have legs. 2379, we're still using wheelchair ramps. <laughs> so, that sucks for our society. Uh, it's also 2379. And my other question is, this movie is hinged upon resurrecting, no pun intended, uh, a species from 200 years ago for technological use, which begs the question, can you think of anything from 200 years ago that would be worth resurrecting for the purposes of current day problems? We're, so we're talking what, 1820? Yeah. <laughs> just seems know. nuts that we've just evolved, but we still have, like, that was my main question was, it's 200 years later, but they're like still caught up in in the xenomorph shit that had that has to be yesterday's news beyond yesterday's news right it's not like you're going it's it's not like a jurassic park sort of scenario where you're going in the very distant past to resurrect some yeah you know very mythological i mean obviously the xenomorphs would be very mythological creatures they're so you know distinctly larger than life you know they would be akin to, to you know a, you know, a T-Rex or whatever. That's why they use them for biological warfare. Exactly. But as far as in our contemporary times, no, I can't think of what is the species that existed then that doesn't, you know, I, I don't. Off the, the dodo. Head, <laughs> the dodo. Exactly. Or I don't know. Thomas let's, Jefferson. Let's clone the dodo and Thomas Jefferson. bitch ass Thomas Jefferson. <laughs> so hey, the y'all, dodo Jefferson he will lead our nation. Yeah, no, not just clone, but let's do a <laughs> Dodo Thomas Jefferson hybrid. So it's like a <laughs> a slave holding dumb dick bird. That's fun. And he absolutely would be the leader of of some like Minutemen militia. You oh know. yeah, out in like <laughs> yeah, out in the middle of fucking nowhere, Oregon or whatever the shit. <laughs> All hail our leader Dodo our Jefferson. Dodo Jefferson. <laughs> he will he will lead this great nation back to what it once was. <laughs> and it's just like it's like squawking like squawking. giant bird with a with a Thomas Half Jefferson head. Feathered <laughs> bitch ass looking dude. Yeah, but I hear he he 
Bird fucks all his slaves. <laughs> yeah. As he should. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. Strange. The only other question I have is cloning Ripley is one thing and clearly was a trying process. Uh, but having cloned her to have the alien queen embryo still inside of her seems like impossible. Like you're cloning a dead pregnant woman as pregnant for all in terms of purposes. And not only is it successful, but the organism inside of her is still intact like that. They're only getting the queen embryo because they cloned Ripley. Yeah. Which brings me to actually another question that we had another very, um, you know, very highly speculative uh, possibility is that through cloning the xenomorph gene and having it, you know, intertwined with Ripley's genetics, that she would be able to retain her memory. Yeah, they, I mean, but at least they they mention that. Yeah, they try. They, I mean, they, they don't again, explain it. Yeah, but they they try. They try to give it some sort of substance as as opposed to just, oh, you know, she just remembers things, which would be. They only wanted to do that for the newt stuff that was Mm -hmm. basically went to the cutting room floor. I mean, there's lots of. So I told you this last night when we were texting back and forth that I watched the 2003 special edition of this, which is like 10 minutes longer. It's got a different opening and ending credit sequence and. There's a lot more newt talk in it. Mm. So uh, I feel like they had to justify, like, why would she even be remembering newt? Or why, like, they had to do some head, some head gymnastics to make that work. And it just doesn't work, especially if that shit's on the cutting room floor. It's like, you just could have her just not remember any of it. It wouldn't matter. It's It's a standalone movie. Who cares? Yeah. Earth, I'd rather stay here with the things, man. How long until we get to Earth? Three hours almost. We gotta blow the ship. Call. You're not blowing this ship. Not while we're on it, okay? You get out of the ship, you do as you please, all right? Earth, man. What a shithole. So. All right. Moving on to our awards and categories sections. Um, quotes. Uh, lots of great quotes. Let me hear some of yours. Do you have any quotes that you want to go through or should I just, I only have one main one and it's because this one is actually for me, having not seen the movie is the one thing about it that I distinctly remember outside of the movie. And that is the quote from John earth, man, what a shithole all time quote. All time quote. That is the that is the big daddy quote. I'm pretty sure it's on some of the posters. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, Johnner has all the quotes. Of course, Ron Perlman like gets to just wade in the in the the great bathing waters of of jokey uh, sexual innuendos. <laughs> He's, he, he is the literary man of of this. Entourage, yeah. So it's all Johnner and Ripley have all. It's Johnner and Ripley jiving back and forth. Exactly. Um, Ripley says, uh, "Who do I have to fuck to get off this boat?" And Johnner says, "I can get you off the. I can get you off, but maybe not this boat." Which is that's Mm -mm -mm. fun. We're gonna need a bigger, horny boat, Johnner. Again, 
Res Erection. This is the is. this is the awards and category sex shin. Oh God, Jesus. <laughs> Are you done? <laughs> Proceed onward and we shall see. Uh I've heard you, John says, I've heard you've run into these things before. So like, what do they, what, what'd you do? She says, I died. Just yeah. Uh, Vries has a great one, which is, uh, if you blink, you missed it. And I think you did miss it because it's during the underwater ship. But he mm-hmm. says, when we surface on the other side, no backstroke. Okay. Which is great. Yeah. <laughs> Cause he's pinned to that dude's back. Yeah. Uh, general Perez says drink elgin and elgin says constantly another great just retort yeah and then my favorite uh back and forth is actually between ripley and and call um she says ripley says why do you care what happens to them and call says because i'm programmed to and ripley says you're programmed to be an asshole you're the new asshole model they're putting out (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) <laughs> that's a good one and then the only other quote i have is a fantasy quote which is i wish when she fucking swished the basketball the no look behind her back half court shot she just called game that would have been fucking <laughs> yeah just right. a game over some <laughs> stupid shitty sports fun that would have been great <laughs> or game blouses just, just yeah just game, <laughs> game <laughs> huggers <laughs> yeah um, <laughs> Yeah, half the yeah a five on five. Half, five people have face huggers in their chest, and the other five don't. Uh, but if the five that win, with the face huggers win, they get them surgically removed. <laughs> That's the sport of the future. Nice. Um, best scene, worst scene. I kind of stepped on this earlier. My favorite, right. the best scene for me is is the, all the reject Ripley clones. I love when she walks into that. Ripley seven haunts my nightmares. She's got like a fucking chicken wing on one. Like it's, it's, it's terrifying. It's really, really horrifying. And of course she just blasts her like yeah. <laughs> with a torch as she it, should. It reminds me of, have you ever seen the fly Two? I have. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You remember the very end where the way they punish the whatever the the ceo of the of right. the lab is you know they basically turn him into a freak yeah by putting him in, in the On transporter purpose. and then at the very end he's just like this weird kind of slithering dog man thing when they close in on that that shit always freaked me the fuck <laughs> out <laughs> that's another <laughs> real squirmy like yeah that that's a he, good i thought of the movie um Slither. <laughs> okay. There's lots of stuff in Slither that looks like that too. <laughs> yeah. So it was akin to having that moment, you know, you know, watching that in my mind. Uh, Is that I would your say, favorite scene? What? The Ripley clone scene? No, no, no. Mine is the 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 entering the queen's nest. No. Oh, yeah. So epic. There's really there's lots to choose from. Actually, it was hard to pinpoint one. Yeah, for sure. But that I would say that's that's the best scene in my opinion. Worst scene. What's the worst scene? Honestly, I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying that there aren't worse scenes, but I I don't I didn't have one right off the top of my head. The basketball sequence is maybe the best worst scene ever. <laughs> it's so for sure. You could you could just not have it and the movie would just flow as if it never happened. 
yeah. have all the conversations that happen in that scene just not revolved around basketball and everything's fine. I'm I but don't get me wrong. I'm so glad it's in this. Well, I will say it's funny because when we talked about it and I said I honestly was completely distracted so I don't remember much of it, but I would say in hindsight, if I would have been watching it, the scene with the CGI aliens probably would be the worst scene for me. Yeah, that's tough because that actual scene rules. Like them escaping underwater is is actually really fun. It's just that yeah, that little nugget is is in there though, so it taints it a little bit. Yeah, but there you go. The dumber I hardly know a reward for the most killer performance. Um, I feel like this is a no brainer unless you went outside the box a little bit, but I just went with Sigourney Weaver for the basketball stuff alone is epic. And not to mention like that's her, you know, obviously posing as, as Ripley seven. She had to do all that, that gnarly shit. And Mm -hmm. she just, you know, puts together another iconic performance for this franchise. And it's her namesake. So, you know, it's the Ripley shit I never grow tired of. Yeah, I'm not going to disagree with that, but I went with Ron Perlman. Just to, That's good, yeah. Just to swerve. Yeah, there's people bit. you could choose right. from here. I wouldn't have been mad at Brad Dorif, um, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. The Michael Rooker Award, uh, which goes to the most evil fucker in the movie, who did you go with? Uh, I don't really know the actor, but I just went with the Dr. Ren character. I ding 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 ding. We <laughs> both chose uh, <laughs> Doctor Ren, played by J. E. Freeman. He's yeah, he's a real shithead in this. Yeah, yeah. You have to choose. First of all, you have to go person. You have to go human because the humans are the, the, ev- always the most evil in these movies, mm. and he's probably the most evil human doing the most evil shit. Yeah, and he just keeps doubling down more and more and more. He yeah, he, he never he has he no never regrets at all. Yeah. No. Unlike, yeah. say, like, um, what's his name uh, uh, in Aliens? Why do I always draw a blank on this motherfucker's name? Who's the dude that plays the, the corporate shithead that basically leads them all into... Oh, yeah, the mad about you guy. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I'm drawing a blank on his name. I never remember that asshole's name either. That guy. Paul Reiser. Paul Reiser. I knew it was Paul something. Now we've mentioned Paul Reiser and Helen Hunt. This might as well be the fucking Mad About, Mad about You, you. This episode. Is, let's, Great. Let's, yeah, let's do a big segue and do a, a lengthy discussion on Mad About You. Uh, lengthy Paul Reiser, I brought him up, I think, during the Deep Blue Sea episode, and I couldn't fucking remember his name then either. Yeah. I don't know Maybe why. he'll elude you in three episodes from now. <laughs> Who knows? Hopefully. Um, the recasting couch. Uh, I got a good one for this. Good. You go first. Well, just because it's fresh in my memory, because I watched this back to back with Dr. Moreau, but I, I recast Feruza Balk as call. (laughs) Wow. Talk. Wow. Talk about instant upgrade. (laughs) That's unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. And like in her prime too, the late nineties. Oh my good dear Lord. I would have killed for that. That's like what we got was like top ramen in Winona Ryder's performance. And then you just like did like high end ramen uh, at a like a nice ass restaurant. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And after so Island of Dr. Moreau is in almost every 
facet, a steaming pile of shit, a wondrous spectacle pile of shit. But when we watched uh, the the documentary about it and they were talking to Feruza Balk, it just made me think, like, as they're talking, I'm like, man, this lady fucking kicks ass. Like, she's just, like, super weird and super cool. And you can just tell she's kind of unhinged. <laughs> you know? I love Feruza Balk so yeah. much, so much. So, uh, <laughs> so anyways. I could see us doing Return to Oz at some point. I, I love that movie. Oh, shit. That would be wild, actually. Yeah. Is is it is she in Return to Oz? No, she's in. Um, what's the Oz movie she's in? Is it Return to Oz? Did I get the name wrong? Um, I'm gonna look it up because I am curious. No, I was right. Return to Oz. Okay. I was thinking of The Wiz. I was making sure I didn't say <laughs> like The Wiz or whatever. The Michael Jackson Wizard of Oz. <laughs> no, thank you. No, Return to Oz. That could easily be on the on the pod um so speaking of call this is an interesting bit of uh trivia angelina jolie turned down the role for call 1997 angelina jolie that would have been an upgrade as well i feel instant which is actually ironic because her and winona Ryder both went on to do girl interrupted two years later Mm. the character of dr wren was originally written for bill murray with the intent of reuniting him and Sigourney Weaver like a Ghostbuster reunion. I don't get that at all. No. That Bill Murray is Dr. Ren. That would have sucked. Yeah, because it would have been too wacky. Yeah, he wouldn't have been a bad guy. He would have just been like, yeah, like just like whack, wacky bad guy. That, that would not have jived. That would be weird. Yeah. Uh, Joss Whedon wrote Christie's character, um, the guy who's like got like the, the wrist guns. Yeah. Um, as uh, with Chow Yun Fat in mind, but Yun Fat's manager and producer Terrence Terrence Chang turned down the role for him, so he didn't appear in this movie. I feel like that would have been, uh, been, been an cool. upgrade. Yeah, yeah. Lots and lots and lots of directorial cast recasting here. <laughs> Peter Jackson was asked to direct. He declined oh, yeah. as he could not get excited about an alien film. Yeah. Which I don't know why oh, you couldn't shit. get excited. Yeah, about wasn't this film. one with, where it was? Oh no, I'm drawing a blank. Go ahead, go ahead. Uh, I was I was getting it mixed up again with Doctor Moreau as a potential director. But go, oh. on. You, <laughs> you, you, um, you, you go. Paul W. S. Anderson uh, was in talks to direct, but was unable to take part due to scheduling conflicts, which is so uh, uh, Good fortune for all involved because he went on to do Event Horizon that same year. Hell yeah. Which like, is sick. just so like that's so tight. Like I'm glad that that we've got both of these movies instead of just one. Yeah. David Cronenberg was an early choice to direct but later would- pass. There is some great there's a great Cronen- Cronenberg quote about this. Um he he, to this day, thinks that the original Alien was inspired by elements of his own film Shivers from 1975. I think I have actually read about that. Yes. He always contends that for whatever. Not saying like he's owed or do anything, but just thinks there's elements of it. 
Anyway, in regards to this movie, he said, quote, it's tempting for a minute because they're begging me to do it and it's Fox and I'd love to work with Sigourney Weaver and Winona Ryder. It'd be great fun. But the problem with doing a schlocky big budget horror film or studio film is that it wouldn't actually be fun for me. I'm innately honest. I think if I'm going to do Aliens 4, then I'm going to deliver Aliens 4. I'm going to try and make it the best version of Aliens 4 I can. So I'm not going to try and subvert it and make it something else because why spend 80 or a hundred million dollars of the studio's money and just be deceitful and be fighting them all the time and have them combat at you and then end up with something that isn't really good either way. I actually said to them, you know, I don't even do sequels to my own movies. Why would I do sequels to somebody else's movies? I didn't do the fly to why would I do aliens for? And he's got good points with all that. So. It's funny because he's pretty much laying the blueprint as to what Jean-Pierre Jeannot ended up going through, which was hell and why he never went back to Hollywood. So those, yeah. are, real, those are the real gems of the filmmaking world, the people that have David Cronenberg's perspective. Yeah. And and it's it really, you know, talking again about the Dr. Moreau thing, because there's so many there's so many missteps like this that get off repeated in Hollywood where you have, you know, this kind of, um, bet noir kind of renegade, let's say screenwriter or director or something that has like a visionary at the helm of a lot of these big projects and they almost always run afoul with the production. Pro- producers and the studio execs because the producers and the studio execs they just want to make their money back so they just want to follow you know whatever kind of shitty tropes and formula that they have in mind that they know will in their mind always make their money back and then the director and the screenwriter and the, and the visionaries behind it they're always running afoul because they want to keep their vision pure and things like that so yeah it, you know Cronenberg's right and Joss Whedon was right you know where they fucked it up and you know I don't think it's Jean Genot, uh Jean-Pierre Genot's fault at all he tried to do his best with it so and you know I agree I just I appreciate a filmmaker that doesn't just refuses to play the game yeah <laughs> he just is gonna do his own thing that's like a um Stephen Craig Zaylor uh thing like sim- very similar to him he just wants to make his own movies and doesn't want to be handcuffed or relegated to uh, being a studio director, which I appreciate. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's uh, round this out with the most bloated wiki wormhole uh, maybe ever. (laughs) Yeah, that was a lot. I had to cut so much out. I had to really fine tune to the things I found most interesting. So... Let's get it going Um, with the body count to top off the wiki wormhole. 29 humans, 13 xenomorphs, a total of 42 uh, in terms of the body count, which pales in comparison to Dead Alive, which sits at 87 still. That's our reigning champ. And thank you for not being speciesist and including the xenomorphs. Yeah. Xenomorphs are people, too. I include those freaks. (laughs) (laughs) Sigourney Weaver originally refused to do 
uh, a fourth alien movie. But when asked why she changed her mind, she said they basically drove a dump truck full of money to my house. <laughs> Which, Get paid. I, I don't Get blame money. her. <laughs> she did, and and, and she did. <laughs> and I don't I don't blame her at all. Um, when pre-production was underway, the original Alien Queen could not be located, and the molds that were used to build the original were damaged beyond usefulness. Fortunately, the original life-size puppet was located in the personal collection of an avid alien fan. What the hell? <laughs> so they just apparently had, what did you have it in your garage curled up in the corner? Yeah, they're like, <laughs> hey, all our molds are all fucked up. You seem like a huge freak. Can we pay you? And like you have a life-size alien queen in your fucking garage? I don't know what's yeah. going on here. So yeah. then Buffalo Bill gave them the alien queen and they went on their merry way. <laughs> Uh, oh, wait, oh, wait, was this for something? When can I expect my check in the mail? <laughs> oh, 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 yeah, thanks. Goodbye, horse. <laughs> um, Sigourney Weaver, let's just get this out of the way. The basketball corner. Yeah, absolutely. She made the behind-the-back half-court basketball shot successfully after three weeks of basketball practice and being tutored by a basketball coach. Her conversion rate supposedly during that time was one out of every six shots, but the distance was much lower than it would be in the actual scene. When the day came to shoot the scene, uh, Jean-Pierre Jeannot wanted to have the ball dropped in from above rather than wait for Weaver to sink the shot herself, which would probably have taken about 200 takes is what he said. Weaver insisted uh, she could get the shot in herself and was allowed to do so. Though it is commonly said that she sank the basket on her first attempt, it actually took her endless takes to complete the stunt. Jean-Pierre Jeannot gave her one last try to sink the basketball before they would give up and use a CGI or a second ball. The very next take, Sigourney Weaver successfully managed the trick. Ron Perlman broke character and began smiling when he saw it, and people on the set started cheering. The editors looked at the shot and decided there was enough room to get the scissors in. Quote, Weaver was excited about making the shot, but Jeannot was concerned audiences would believe the shot to be faked due to the ball leaving the frame. Upon Weaver's insistence, he kept the shot in as it was, and Sigourney Weaver described the miracle shot as, quote, one of the best moments in her <laughs> life after her wedding and the birth of her daughter. <laughs> Just this, yeah, this mythology that has been built around this basketball shot is is unreal to me. We've talked so much basketball on the <laughs> Alien Resurrection pod. I'm so happy because one of the first things I think when I'm set to watch Alien Resurrection or talk about Alien Resurrection is the basketball scene. I oh, it's just, it's really just gonzo it, it just shouldn't it shouldn't exist i'm so glad it does and i'm so glad it has such a rich history behind it for some reason yeah dear god yeah and that's up there with her wedding day and the birth of her child and sinking that half court shot behind her back apparently those three are on the same plane of existence <laughs> good for her yeah speaking of backing the dump truck of money to her house, Sigourney Weaver was paid $11 million to come back, which is the entire budget of the original alien, not adjusting for inflation. 
Amazing. How times have changed. The underwater sequence marked the first time that Winona Ryder had gone underwater since a near drowning incident that happened to her when she was 12 years old. The actress suffered a complete anxiety attack on the first day of filming in the underwater set. Which, you know, you can completely picture in your mind's eye Winona Ryder because she always is playing those frantic, uh, you know, on the edge of an anxiety attack type characters. Yeah, you, you, yeah. you can just see her, like, eh, you know, having a fucking kirking out uh, about going in the water. If only that lake had taken her life. <laughs> Got too far. Sorry. I mean, I don't hate her. I like we her. We would have had bulk. We wouldn't. Okay. Fuck. Oh, no, we wouldn't have. We would have had no. Angelina Lee. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't think I don't think she's worthy of dying for. Angelina. No, I don't but wish it. death upon her. No, that I'm okay. sorry. Winona. Yeah. <laughs> I like you, Winona. Don't worry. It's just weren't great in this movie. That's true. Uh, the newborn creature that Joss. This is this is the bit that I mentioned earlier. The newborn creature Joss Whedon originally scripted uh, for this movie was drastically different to the one um, ultimately featured in the film. Obviously, the, the cream of wheat guy is who <laughs> we're referencing. Um, in the script, it's supposed to be an eyeless, ivory white creature with six limbs, four spider-like legs at the front with two dog-like rear limbs. It also has a bulge. It also has bulging red veins running along the sides of its elongated alien head and an inner jaw with the addition of a pair of pincers on the sides of its head. These pincers were used to mobilize the creature's prey as it drained its victim of their blood using its inner jaw. The newborn was also meant to rival the queen in size. Jean-Pierre Jeannot, uh, later asked um, the production company to lean towards making this human-alien hybrid uh, more human than alien, which is the result of what we received. So this is where he fucked up. I'm not sure if like, he saw the newborn and was like, all right, <laughs> like I came up with a really tight concept, like something straight out of the thing, uh, and this is what you gave me. <laughs> I don't know. But yes, conceptually, so much cooler. Yeah. Practically, 100%. though, I don't know if that's doable. It would have been difficult. Very much so. Yeah. But knowing what we could have gotten, that would have been so tight. Yeah. Um, oh, I already mentioned the Easter Bunny line from earlier, the Dominique Bignon line. Um, the original idea for the movie was for Newt to be cloned, not Ripley. Uh, she was to have considerable strength and fighting skills. So Joss Whedon was brought in as he had experience writing an action series featuring a young heroine, uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, obviously, uh, which funny, I just thought of this mentioning Buffy. Buffy started in 97. So this in Buffy were, he was doing all this in the same year, which is nuts. Um, but Whedon wrote a 30 page story treatment. The studio was concerned that fans would not accept an alien movie without, uh, Ripley. And when, uh, Sigourney Weaver agreed to reprise her role, uh, Whedon's initial story was scrapped. So he rewrote it with the focus on a cloned, uh, Ripley character. Would you have bought into a cloned newt? Would I have? Yeah. Sure. Would you have liked it more than Ripley? 
No. Of yeah, course agreed. not. Agreed. Of course not. Who cares? Uh, also, yeah. I would contend that a majority of the individuals going to see this movie don't know who Newt is. I mean, right. we're talking almost a 10-year gap between Aliens and this. And other than like people that are really invested in, in this in this franchise, I mean, I don't think most people knew who the little girl from Aliens name was. Just like common, like street people. They just remember as the they come out at night mostly, girl. Mostly, mostly, mostly. <laughs> um, I've got something I want to end on. So if you have anything else to add, speak now or forever hold your basketball. No, I wanted you to take the wheel with this one, my friend. Well, then I'll end with this. Supposedly, Neil Blomkamp's Alien 5 concept, which has been on again, off again since 2015, is again back in production. Yeah. Uh, supposedly. But I'll reserve my excitement for actual, like, credible uh, hard facts on where that's going rather than just another supposedly this is back in production because I more than more than trust him to get a, a fifth alien movie off the fucking ground. I love Neil Blomkamp so much. And I feel like he has done for modern sci-fi what a lot, what has eluded a lot of filmmakers um, with district nine and even Chappie and, and Elysium to a lesser degree. But I, I, I think he would knock it out of the park. Yeah, incidentally, I've never seen any of those movies. Oh, my God, really? You should start with District... I think you would genuinely love District 9, but he's a South African filmmaker uh, who has a... Uh, Matt Damon is in Elysium. Like, Elysium is is kind of a watered-down concept uh, that he kind of rehashes with, with his other two movies. But I think you would love... Uh, I think you would you would love District Nine and and Chappie has uh, D Antwoord in it. I think they've been canceled. Who hasn't been canceled? But <laughs> they're yeah, South well, African, obviously. Yeah. Well, the, I I think the 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 male half of the duo did get canceled. And and District Nine, incidentally, it's one of those movies that I've always intended to see from the get go, and for whatever reason, it just eluded eluded my my viewing up to this point. But so I have no ill will against the man at all i'm sure he, he makes fine productions i just it's just one of those things that just has slipped through my hands well if he does come out with an alien five boy howdy uh, watch out that that'll be sick <laughs> i know he'll i know he'll knock it out of the park let's uh get to the rating and we would be remiss to forget any part of this which we are known to do um mm-hmm. let's start with the iconography for today's episode out of five what adam well i feel like it's going to be maybe off the top of my head of one of three things out of five basketball through hole in ones behind the back shots out of five cream of wheat alien human <laughs> hybrid babies or out of five oh wait no maybe add another one out of five freakish uh ripley botched clones or mm-hmm. out of five face huggers through the head which of those oh, right. options 
seeing how sent how basketball centric this yeah i was thinking of basketball iconography uh, okay. out of five sweaty mesh jerseys <laughs> or basketballs or or whatever yeah i was leaning towards that fine let's say out of five uh hole in one behind the back basketball eight, <laughs> future basketball nothing shots. but net uh behind the back half court shots yeah what would you give this i gave it three and a half i know we don't do the halves but i i was like i don't want to give it three sometimes but. you have to you have to execute the half i i think when used sparingly it's a device that we should use a half erection for resurrection i'm fully erect <laughs> i couldn't get more erect Although I guess I could because I didn't give it a five, but I gave this uh, a four and a half because I I just yeah. really love this movie so Ooh. much. Mm-mm-mm. Really sucking on that face hugger for this one, or the mm. sucking on this chest burster, that 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 phallic chest burster. Yeah, just penetrate me, penetrate me, little chest burster. On the midnight clock, where does this rank? Mm, I mean, it does have some decent gore. So, midnight, eleven thirty. I'd say, I'd say because there's yeah some pretty gnarly shit. Um, I'd say one on the midnight clock. There you go. Yeah, thereabouts. <laughs> that two hour range. What's on the next episode, my friend? Okay. Well, I had a few things in mind. I almost made you sit through another low budget offering, but I felt, you know, I need to give Pat a reprieve from my obsession with these lo-fi outings. Well, this is my reprieve, so. That's true. You're right. But I was thinking maybe on my end. So I'm looking through my list here. And... So this is the thing. This is what I'm just going to settle on this because we had a discussion about this not too long ago. And this is a movie that we actually brought up when we were doing our Halloween series. Um, there's a couple in here that we, we touched upon in the Halloween series that I wanted to give a little bit more shine to in, in depth. But I think for next time, I want to talk about Christine. All right. Yes. Because. That's good choice. I, I feel it, it definitely fits within the, you know, the parameters of what we're doing here because it's 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 in certain ways I feel has definitely become a cult movie over time. But at the time was not only a maligned John Carpenter outing, but based off of what was considered a maligned Stephen King book. And I feel like it's a it's a it's an often misunderstood story in a lot of ways. So I want to talk about that. Is this our second or third John Carpenter movie? Well, technically it'd be our third because Halloween three was a John Carpenter affair. It just wasn't directed by him, but it had, it had his backing essentially, but it wasn't. Yeah. I don't count that though. Yeah. Like in terms of like direct, like directorial movies, I suppose. I don't know. This would be our second. I was thinking maybe it was Halloween three that I was just thinking and attributing to him. Um, but yeah, Assault this will be our second because we did Assault on Precinct 13. Right. right. So there we go. 
we're gonna there's gonna be a lot of car talk you know i i do like my car talk and my gun talk so this is gonna be a whole episode of car talk the Ugh. click and clack brothers here of midnight <laughs> flicks r.i.p <laughs> I, think, I think clack died is click still alive yeah the clack the clack died the click's still around i think click's alive manny mo and pat this has been another deep dive into Midnight Movie Madness. Big thanks to Charlotte Blythe for providing our intro music. Our outro music is brought to you by Xenomorph, uh, the only death metal band that I've ever heard of coming out of Nebraska. Hell, the only band I've ever heard of from Nebraska, period. <laughs> if you're a band looking to submit a song or a listener looking to submit a question, feel free to shoot us an email at midnightflixpod at gmail.com. Or hit us up on Instagram at Midnight Flicks Pod. For Adam Walker, I'm Pat Mitchell. See you on the hardwood for some B-ball next week. No, wait. This week, this week is B-ball. Next week's Christine. See you then.